0: It's Tuesday, May 16th, 2017, and welcome to Episode 4 of the Barnhart Podcast, and happy belated Mother's Day to all the moms listening. And how was your week?
1: Had an absolutely lovely week. Um, happy to see the, the spring advancing and moving towards summer. It's, a, it's been a long time coming this year.
0: Uh, summer is definitely showing up here, and uh, as I mentioned for the recordings, I have to turn off the air conditioner in my office, so it's, it's already getting a little warm. But uh, let's move, move along to the news headlines. Uh, something that is the lead headline on Drudge right now, DNC staffer, dead DNC staffer, if you remember this from the from the political season, had contacts with WikiLeaks. Clearly, the Russians had something to do with this, right?
1: <laughs> well, um, it's we shouldn't laugh. It's terrible. This young man, Seth Rich, poor, confused young man that he was working for the DNC, um, apparently he was in the process of or had already passed information to WikiLeaks and it's it's pretty clear, it's pretty obvious that this young man was assassinated um on the streets of Washington DC. They tried to uh, blow it off as just gang banging, except, you know, his wallet was filled with cash. He still had his wristwatch, he still had his cell phone, et cetera, et cetera. He was just someone walked up to him in the night as he was walking in the streets of Washington D C and and executed him. Um Two and shots so in the back of
0: the head at close quarters
1: two two shots to the back of the head true execution style um and so now you know the parents ever since this happened have been screaming bloody murder this was not gang banging this that's not what this was this was not a, ro- a botched robbery or anything else like that our son was murdered and he was almost certainly murdered for political reasons and it was it was suspected that he was in fact um passing internal dnc stuff to wikileaks and other people and i think the theory is and you know correct me if i'm wrong here but i believe what i read months ago in the the immediate aftermath of it is that he was one of the people within the the democrat party that were very upset about um the way the whole bernie sanders hillary clinton primary interaction went and um, there there were a lot of people that were Bernie Sanders supporters. And again, you know, I, I know that Bernie Sanders is a hard socialist, if not an outright communist, not defending Bernie Sanders or any of these people in any way, just stating the fact that there was this internal um, internal fighting within the Democrat Party during the primary season. And a lot of those Bernie Sanders people got, you know, got the business end of, of the Clinton the Clinton shaft and experienced it firsthand and realized how dirty and corrupt all of this stuff is and were extraordinarily upset. And I believe that it's theorized that he was in that camp and he was he was making moves and getting things done to expose the corruption within the DNC itself and within the the primary season. And so, you know, he was, I don't know if you call it Arkanside or or what you want to call it, but he was assassinated. Um, First thing, the first point to make about all this is there's this intense naivete still, still within the United States, the former United States, in which people truly believe that, you know, in the United States, things like, having people killed and, and so on and so forth. Well, that, that just doesn't happen in the United States. Of course it happens in the United States. Wake up. The Clintons have been having their political enemies murdered for almost 40 years now. When I say that these people are murderers, I'm not just throwing around random, random words. These people have been putting contracts out on people and having their political enemies assassinated. And also presumably people that you know got tangled up sexually with one or both of them, that that as well. Um, the Vince Foster thing—it's not cuckoo pants conspiracy theories to be to look at the Vince Foster death and say, boy, something there is just is just profoundly profoundly wrong. Um, s- something about that the reportage and all that is terrible, and we probably won't know until the general judgment, but. But you have to understand that these people operate outside and above the law. That's why they're psychopathic politicians. That's why they're in the game. And they have people killed all the time. Um,
0: So do you you think the Bernie supporters got the message?
1: uh, Honestly, yeah, I do. I do. I think. I think that these people are so devoid of integrity fundamentally. I mean, they wouldn't be Bernie Sanders supporters if they had any integrity. They wouldn't be members of the Democrat Party or have anything to do with that mess or have anything to do with national level politics by definition if they had any personal integrity. And see, that's that's kind of the other side of the coin. If you don't have any personal integrity – It isn't just that you're willing to do anything and you're amoral and you're capable of doing anything yourself to, to get ahead. It's that you can also be manipulated so easily. You can be coerced so easily because you, since you have no integrity, you're not willing to take a principled stand on anything. And you're certainly not willing to die for anything, certainly not willing to die People who have no integrity are not willing to lay down their lives because in order to do that, the, the act of laying down your life and the act of self-sacrifice, you, that has to be rooted in charity. That has to be rooted in, in a fundamental love of your fellow man and hopefully of, of the truth and of God. And that's why people take principle stands, lay down their lives, suffer and die. Um, people who have no integrity are not going to do that ever. So yeah, you you kill Seth Rich, you assassinate Seth Rich on the streets of Washington, D.C., and it sends an instantaneous shockwave through that whole generation, through that whole population, through all those people who knew this guy and who are now confronted with the fact that, yeah, these people will kill me. And of course, what are they? They're Gen X, Gen Y, millennial American You know, diabolically narcissistic, if not psychopathic, moral degenerates. So, yeah, they'll fall right into line if you do something like that. So, yeah, I do think it was effective. And now we found out that um, the FBI went to the Washington, D.C. police force and explicitly told them to stand down and to stop investigating this murder once again people this whole notion that your government is this benevolent wonderful thing and that the, the FBI and this high level national level law enforcement is is your friend and on your side this is naivete on a level that just can't even be quantified at this point these are these are now malignant malevolent organizations filled with truly uh, Psycho-spirit- psycho-spiritually damaged and and demented people by definition i mean do you think do you honestly think that good people wake up at this point after all this crap that's been going on for the last several decades and a good person says yeah i want to join the fbi uh no i'm sorry but you're you're just you're naive and you're deluded if you believe that these organizations at this point are attracting people who are who are looking to get into a system in which psychopathy and corruption and graft are the ways to, you know, to climb the ladder and to and to aggregate power unto yourself. These institutions are so corrupt that now that's that's the sort of person that they are almost exclusively attracting. So the further it goes, the worse and worse and worse and worse it gets. So, you know, again, just wake up. And I guess the advice I would give is that it, it just in your life in general, and I learned this lesson well, if anything bad happens to you, if you are threatened, if someone tries to coerce you, um, you receive a death threat, anything, the way that you protect yourself is you, is you, you go public with this immediately. You publicize it all over Everywhere, everywhere. Make sure everybody knows. And, you know, there's really no excuse not to in this day and age. Every one of us carry around in our in our pocket or in our bag a baby television with a movie camera attached to it. We can record basically a press conference. Any human being can can call and hold a press conference at any moment. Literally. So you quote unquote call your own press conference you take your phone you prepare a statement or speak extemporaneously if you're able to speak extemporaneously you describe exactly what happened you document what has happened and you get it out publicly and then and then you you are on the offensive you are stepping manfully to the to the person who is an aggressor against you you are now on the offense; they are on the defense, and you and you up the ante, and you say, "Look, if you if you're serious about this, if you want to, for example, kill me, then come and do it." Um, I ha- I went viral for a second or third time in the fall of 2011, about six months after I did the original Koran burning, because I got a death threat email from this from this uh, retarded muslloyd over in the UK. And my response to him, which I instantly posted on my website so that the entire world would see it, was I gave the guy detailed driving instructions to my home. Say, so, okay, here's what you need to do. There's daily direct flights from Heathrow to Denver. So once, you're, once you do that, you come out of the terminal, you go to the rental car facility. From the rental car facility at Denver, Denver International Airport, here's the turn-by-turn driving instructions to get to my house. Come do it. Come do it. And you know, at people but be fold sporting, instantly.
0: Be, but be sporting about it and wear body armor.
1: Yeah, but but wear body armor because at the time I had a, I had a new I had a new rig and I had some new ammo that I wanted to try out. And also, what I also made clear to him was I was you know I had forty fifty IQ points on him probably. And, you know, that's not being overly uh, – I'm not flattering myself overly by saying that because, as as we all well know, the the Muslim population due to um, 1,400 years of marrying your cousin just shifts that IQ bell curve way over to the left. So, um, you know, so I've got 40, 50 IQ points on him, and, you know, I have the tactical advantage in every conceivable sense, so please wear body armor, blah, blah, blah. And people were just stunned by this. They're just stunned stunned that that's the reaction to me it's so common sense if someone threatens you go public make a you know and even if you don't go public 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 and put something on the internet tell some document everything um if you you know screen grabs photocopies put send send things to to trusted family members etc cetera, etc cetera. But I think the most effective way to do these things is just to go completely, totally public with this stuff. That's why, you know, people, I guess people who aren't terribly familiar with me, these people send once in a while, you'll get some just crazy, evil email. And what I do is I just turn around and post it on on the website with the email address, not redacted. If there's a phone number, I post the phone number. Um, Last summer, I had some, some pervert uh, leave, me, leave me these multiple minutes long voicemails try, trying to get me to come to Las Vegas and participate in, um, in pornography, to produce pornography. I just record the whole thing, write up the transcript post it on my website with his name, address, phone number the whole nine yards the best thing you can do is be open and transparent and tell people when something like this happens. The, it, people permit themselves to be coerced so often just because they don't stand manfully and respond to these things. And we're not talking about churchy things yet, but I'll just say in like one sentence, this is my primary critique of Pope Benedict, the 16th rat singer. If there were any problems inside the curia and inside inside the Vatican, he could have taken care of any and all of them at any time by simply holding a press conference and saying, this is the situation, this person is fired, this person is fired, this person is fired, this person is fired. And if, if I end up dead tomorrow morning, um, please do a full autopsy and make sure that I haven't been poisoned. And the, everybody in the world would probably go, yeah, dude, that's right. Okay, all right, you're you're a good leader. You're getting things done. You're willing to stick your neck out. Just speak up. Just say something. Just tell the truth. Just be transparent. And it's really hard for people to coerce you, if not impossible to coerce and threaten you, if you, A, have any personal integrity, and, B, if you just go public with this stuff. So the poor Seth Rich kid is now dead in his grave almost certainly did not die well one has to presume given the the people that he was associated with what a tragedy what a tragedy
0: and talking about um, Pope Benedict's comments he did make he did make a comment about when he was elected saying pray for me that I don't flee for fear of the wolves which is not exactly the same thing as what you said but uh, it certainly speaks to a level of coercion
1: indeed and if if he was that conscious of it from the very very beginning don't you think you should be intelligent enough to realize you're you're the pope you're the vicar of christ on earth you call a press conference the whole world stops and listens you have the you have the ultimate protection in that sense In this day and age, you know, that we talk about how bad the Internet is and and how bad all of this is. But there are aspects of it that we can and should use and leverage for our own benefit and being able to protect ourselves in the in this sense, being able to get information out for the love of Pete. If you have something, if you know something. And at this point, in some of these cases, we are talking about events that potentially can drastically alter the entire course of human history. If you know something and you have some piece of information that is that important, for the love of Pete, get it out there. Don't play these games. Don't play I have a secret, tee-hee-hee. If you know something, if you have information, say it. Post it. Get it out there. Stop cowering and certainly stop trying to attention hoard and so on and so forth.
0: And we don't know at this point uh, how much Seth Rich passed along to WikiLeaks or how much of it got posted. But, yeah, if, if he's got inside information, get it published out there and um yeah you know, i i, I wasn 't being flippant in saying, "Hey, do you think the Bernie people got the message with with regard to the Clintons, but you know we, we mentioned it on a previous podcast. There are significant factions within the Democratic Party that have just had enough of the clintons their body count- not just the body count and the intimidation, but yeah, the graft um, and, and the and
1: money and the corruption yeah
0: yes i mean yeah there there are, there are numerous books, Clinton Cash being one of them, documenting the just unbelievable um, chutzpah that these people have yeah. with the theft and, and and appropriating things to themselves. Well, what was the and headline a, a large... last
1: week? Bangladesh. While she was the Secretary of State, she personally, I mean it was beyond lobbying. She was intensely pressuring the Prime Minister of Bangladesh to do to do some business deal with one of their huge, huge donors to the Clinton Library or Clinton Family Foundation or whatever that their mafia organization is, their money laundering organization, while she was Secretary of State, intensely leaning on the Prime Minister of Bangladesh for some business deal to go through with one of the Clinton benefactor slash donors. I mean, just not, and knows, knows that no one's going to touch her. And I think it goes back to the point I made before, that because by definition, all of these people who are surrounding the Clintons, who are involved in this paradigm at all, are so devoid of personal integrity, the Clintons know, just as Satan knows, the Clintons know, having been in power for so long, that all of these people can be easily, easily coerced and manipulated, and will never will never say or do anything against them. that's and it, it's so infuriating to watch. but you know you we get what we deserve as a culture. we have descended into this zero integrity paradigm. And this is what you get. This is what you get when the broad populace has no integrity. You get the leaders that you deserve
0: or you get potentially uh, even more interesting ones like, like Bernie Sanders this last time. And I don't think he's going to be coming back, but I I, I do think that the, the Democrats have had enough of the Clintons. And I think we need to look for the rise of some uh, a politician by the name of Tulsi Gabbard, who is everything that Hillary isn't. She's a military veteran. She's young. She's attractive. She's multicultural. She's a surfer. She's straight. She's personal. Uh, she's a huge supporter of Bernie. Uh, she was the one who introduced him at the Democratic National, Nat- National Convention, and would, the, the theory is that if he uh, made a made a big move to support her campaign, that would really put her in a, in a good standing. They, um, I made the joke to you before the show. She's the cutest little communist in in, in uh, Congress, and if because she's definitely cut from that cloth, and that would be our second Hawaiian communist to run for president. Right. Unlike the first one, this one's Hindu, which that one's that one's slightly different. But uh, she's somebody to watch.
1: Wow. Well, you know, I. I can't, I don't follow national level politics in in any sort of the same way that I used to, obviously, because I've just so given up hope on all of it. But it is interesting to watch these things. And yeah, she does sound like kind of the perfect little model of all of these characteristics that they're looking for. But I, I, I just can't reiterate this strongly enough. The Barnhart axiom, the very fact that a person is engaged in national level politics on either side, don't kid yourself on the left or on the right is in and of itself proof that that person is psychologically and morally. What happened?
0: Come on to us, Ann. <gasps> we dropped the phone call there. Uh, you were, you were citing the Barnhart axiom.
1: Okay. So just reiterating the Barnhart axiom The fact that a given person is seeking or holding or in any way engaged with national level and now even lower than the national level politics in in the former United States is proof in and of itself that that person is psychologically and morally unfit to hold public office. And so I don't you know, I look at these people and I just shake my head. And obviously, because this woman is is a communist and is on the far left, it just goes without saying that she's psychologically and morally unfit to hold public office. But you also have to remember this. It's a that applies equally to all of these people that are on the quote unquote right as well. They're all psychopaths. None of them have any integrity. They're all in it for themselves. Anyone who had any genuine integrity and any genuine intelligence and any genuine capacity to be a leader, a national level leader of men, could could see instantly right now in real time that the government structure as it exists right now in the former United States is hopeless, cannot be reformed, and should not be engaged by any decent human being.
0: And we don't have the monopoly on crazy when it comes to uh, national level politics and uh, politicians who can't be trusted. There's a story on, I don't know if it was Drudge or someplace else, I saw this, that in Hamburg, they're confiscating private dwellings to give to refugees. The degree to which the German government is going crazy and bringing in so many migrants, isn't there a risk that at some point the German people might revolt? And, um, you know, if you study history, isn't that a little dangerous?
1: If only there were an historical precedent we could look to to see what happens when you push the German people. (laughs) Um, You know, that it's actually an interesting question. There's two schools of thought. There's a school of thought that says, yes, at some point, the Germans will snap and it will be the reascendancy of basically Nazism and maybe even worse. Um, There's another school of thought that says No. That the German people are so completely post-Christian, post-human, suicidal, who actively, openly are desirous of their own extermination, that the, you know, the resurgence of Nazism or anything like that is not going to happen. Um I, th- I think it's it's an interesting it's a very interesting question, one that is somewhat unprecedented i think i'm I'm struggling to think of another instance where an entire race of people has become so quickly um so so completely emerged in self loathing and so suicidal and so auto genocidal that that they're willing to do the sorts of things that the Germans are just doing as a matter of course now um, so that it will be very interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, at this point, I don't see it. I just don't see it. I, I can't think of a single, I personally have never met a German person who wasn't, who didn't have that self-loathing um, suicide, culturally suicidal mindset. Um, the other thing that's interesting about this is um, the the right Right now in the hard right in Germany, one of the faces that's ascending is a lesbian. And we're seeing this also in other places in um, in in Europe, specifically in France. Oddly enough, on the far right, um, on the front national, the woman who just lost Marine Le Pen was a darling of the sodomite community in in France. And it's this very interesting political dynamic and this this setting of the chessboard that Satan has done trying to make people on the right prove that they are not, quote, intolerant haters by embracing sodomy because Islam superficially Completely superficially, but the Islamic political system has a very superficial public position against sodomy. Now we all know that that is an absolute joke, and that the rates of male homosexuality, man on boy pedophilia, the the highest rates of this by far, among. Any culture or political system in the world, and it's universal across all Muslim cultures, no matter what the race, from Indonesia to Afghanistan to the Persians in Iran to the Arabs across to you know, the, the quasi-Caucasian North Africans to the black Africans in sub-Saharan Africa, that anyone who subscribes to the Islamic political system, the rates of... Sodomy, pedophilia, sexual perversion of any stripe is the highest per capita in the world. It's through the roof. And that's because the Islamic political system, its, it's primary satanic goal is to turn human beings into diabolical narcissists, just to pound every shred of, of human charity out of, out of people and turn them into just basically de facto demons running around in service to this, this thing called Allah, which, depending on how you want to address it, is either non-existent or is Satan himself. So this dichotomy, Satan has set up this dichotomy saying, well, if you're against Islam, let's see, let, let me get this straight. If you're against Islam, you have to be pro-sodomy. Because the Muslims have a public position that they are against sodomy. Well, people are falling for this hook, line, and sinker. And we cannot permit this. And this is happening in the United States, too. This, uh, help me pronounce his name, Milo Yiannopoulos person. Close enough. Yeah. Th- this guy, oh, and he's the darling. And, oh, we have to go hear him speak. And he's just so clever. And he's so funny. And he's so witty. Yeah, I've known I've known plenty of sodomites who are politically on the far right, and they're so clever, and they're so funny, and they're so witty, and they are some of the most evil, soul-killing, murderous human beings walking this planet, okay? You cannot, you cannot delude yourself into believing that because these sex perverts and these sodomites ally themselves... In some ways, with the side of the political spectrum that you're on, namely the right, obviously, that they're harmless and this isn't a problem and wink, wink, as long as he's on our team, it's it's okay that he's a sodomite. No, as we talked about, I think it was in in podcast number three, because that's when we talked about the Knights of Malta and all that. This business of letting these sodomites infiltrate in and giving any quarter to this, any winking toleration. And there's the key word there, tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. Giving these people any quarter and not driving them out, it, it, you, are, you are sowing the seeds of your own destruction. You know, what, what does our, what's the parable of our Lord? Hey, how about you build your house on the rock and not on the sand? Talk about building your house on the sand. Using a constituency of diabolical narcissist sex perverts as one as one of your key foundational constituencies for a political movement, this this is insanity and it will be used. It will come back to bite you in the butt. I'll say it again. Toleration of depravity is itself a species of depravity. To, to wink at this and say, well, as long as he's on my side politically, oh, well, he's really cute, he's really funny, uh, w- you know, we'll, just, we'll just pretend, we'll not think about the fact that he engages in horrific, horrific, perverted sex acts. And within the church, it's, it's oftentimes horrific, perverted, sacrilegious sex acts meaning men having sex with priests men having sex with seminarians um, you know in rome they're they're literally having sex not just in churches they're having sex inside the vatican they're having sex inside st peter's basilica you, you you make the joke about the vatican bathhouse it's no joke it's no joke they're doing they're committing these acts in here and a lot of these people a lot of these sodomites and perverts are politically On the right, both in terms of secular politics and in terms of church politics, if you want to enter into that sphere of discussion, don't kid yourselves. You cannot permit these people in. You cannot give quarter to this because it will be used against you by Satan and it will be the seeds of your own destruction.
0: It's also uh, talk about giving, giving place out of uh, toleration. What does it say about the state of manhood that it takes somebody, a character who refers to himself in the female, to speak for political conservatives so eloquently and clearly to the degree that it's actually, it's not eloquent. I take that back. He's, he's got a pretty foul streak to to his, his yeah, language. yeah. But what does it say about manhood that he's about the only male individual, as far as we know, who is really making a strong case against the gay agenda?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's just pathetic, and I think it goes to um, this this twisting of language coupled with intense effeminacy, which is what you were just what you were just uh, touching on. So, if you say the right must prove that we are not intolerant haters. And everybody on the right today would shake, would nod their heads and say, yeah, yeah, we have to prove that we're not intolerant haters. And I say, wait, 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 wait a minute. I'm an intolerant hater. You're, you're damn right. I'm an intolerant hater. Um, how about let's talk about sodomy. I hate sodomy. It is a sin that cries out to heaven for God's vengeance and it destroys lives and it destroys entire cultures and civilizations. Do I hate it? Yes. I hate it with Every fiber of my being, am I intolerant of it? You're damn right. I'm intolerant of it. I want nothing to do with it. I think that these people that it should be driven out of a civilized society. I have no desire to live in a society in which sexual perversion is tolerated, much less celebrated. Would that it were. And if I were, you know, the joke I always make is if I were crowned Holy Roman Emperor and I was the head of some Catholic confessional state, would sodomy and sexual perversion be criminalized? Oh, you're damn right. It would be criminalized. It would be criminalized under anti-obscenity codes. And it would be like a three strikes and you're out policy. Strike one, maybe some jail time. Strike two. Maybe some more jail time with ministry, you know, with intense ministry trying to help people get out of this. Strike three, we deport your ass, and you're never getting back in. You, you go, you go live out with the people who don't hate sodomy and who tolerate the evil of sodomy, and you go live in their godforsaken culture, and and you live in that swirling cesspit. But this is, but if we're going to have a Catholic culture and a Catholic confessional state. There can be no toleration of these things, and we have to learn to embrace these terms because in, in the context of sins that are so grave as these sins, it's the only, it's the only morally morally sane response to it. The only morally sane response to sodomy is to hate it and to be intolerant of it. Stop letting these people manipulate language and manipulate these ideas. Correct these false premises. Oh, we have to prove that we're not intolerant haters. No, I no. the problem. The reason we're in this mess is because we're not intolerant haters. We're not intolerant haters of sins that cry out to heaven for God's vengeance. And nothing is going to get turned around until we correct that.
0: Right. And, And we hate the action, not the person Committing it per se, unless, exactly. unless they are absolutely, the unless they yeah. are absolutely refusing in any any notion of conversion. In which case, they are identifying themselves with the sin. In that case, but you know, ultimately, the greatest act of love in that case is to convert the person to to help them heal from their from their their sin, and and get them on the right path. Of
1: course, and sometimes that requires a society to, and I have no hesitation in using this word. Into into using coercion at least at the beginning that's what imprisonment is about it's also a function of justice.
0: We used to have you this commit... term called tough love.
1: Tough love, that's right, and and also justice. If you you know I'm a big fan of John Senior I, I'm sure a lot of the listeners out there know exactly who Dr John Senior is. One of the most brilliant things that he ever wrote was uh, was a passage on how depriving man. Of his just punishment for his sins, is in fact sometimes an even greater sin than what the man committed. So, what did we have over the past? I guess it's been a week or ten days now, coming out of anti Pope Bergoglio and and the Vatican. Did he say that that um, the death penalty is a mortal sin? Oh my goodness! This this is this is heresy on a level that just you know each week it's just something new no one of the problems we have is that men are not given their just punishment and we keep we keep trying to tell ourselves well you know, these men, they're not they're not personally responsible for their actions and behaviors. And you know what that is? That's reducing men to the level of animals, saying a man is not responsible for his own behaviors and his own personal decisions. Well, at that point, you're saying the man is an animal. So that is a that is a you want to talk about real human rights and real human dig, dignity. How about that? The other thing is, is that being punished, whether it be just corporal punishment or capital punishment, when when you do it right in a in a just Catholic society, the the rubrics and it's it's almost a sort of a sub liturgy. I was able to I came across a book one time, um, and it was. The way that uh, condemned men should be ministered to by St. Vincent Pallotti, and you read this, and it's just one of the most spectacularly beautiful things, because you have this condemned man. He is going to be executed, period. He has committed rape, murder, whatever. He's going to be executed. As And it goes through all the steps of how you minister to this man. You keep asking him do, if he's not baptized, you keep asking him if he wants to be baptized. If he is baptized, you keep asking him if he wants to make a confession. And then if he says no, you do this. You pray these, these prayers and these psalms. If he says yes, then obviously you you, know, you, you provide him with the sacraments as, as needed. But the point of it is is that for some people, it is, it's only the knowledge, the sure knowledge that they are about to die and that they are about to pay justly for their crimes. It is only that knowledge that causes them, that causes repentance to stir up in them. And we have to be there to help them and, and make sure that they die well. Even the most terrible criminal who is going to be executed. We want this person to die. Well, we want this person to achieve the beatific vision. And so you just do everything you can the church does everything that it can to minister to these people and to make sure that justice is done. We, we have no. Now you're telling. Now you've got these these arch heretics, um, circling anti Pope Bergoglio and and his cadre of toadies, telling people not to do that. That you know, not only if you do that, that's a mortal sin. This is this is insanity, and it's it's chipping away at the notion of justice. That there that God is. God is a golden retriever who is just mercy, mercy, mercy and mindless, mindless mercy, you know, that there's no justice. There's no sin. There's no justice. There's no notion of any of these things. There's certainly no notion of any sort of punishment. So, again, if you listen to Bergoglio's rhetoric, anti-Pope Bergoglio's rhetoric, he's always talking about all of the imprisoned as if the imprisoned are having some injustice done against them by definition. Anyone who's in a prison is um, a victim of somebody. This is all rooted in the satanic Marxist populism and trying to gin up people to revolt against against a, a a a just state, you know. That's what all of that is.
0: It it, and well, it also seizes on one small piece of truth that visiting the imprisoned is a corporal work of mercy, and for the reasons you just cited, there's yeah. there's something about human nature that when you get your just deserts, you mm-hmm. are primed and disposed to have contrition to make amends for life, and that is why you want to visit the people That's in prison. That's why we
1: go visit people in prison, exactly, exactly. Yep not it's not to spring them and it's not to tell them that they didn't do anything wrong and lie to them and say that your sins aren't sins it's it's there to help them whether they will ever be released or not whether they have been sentenced to life in prison or even to death the object the end of men is the beatific vision or sadly not which is hell because anti-Pope Bergoglio and his Freemasonic cadre, they don't actually—they don't believe in any of this. Everything that they are about is about materialism and humanism. The, the supernatural is just non-existent for these people. So the, everything that they say and do is framed in a purely worldly, purely humanistic framework. It's Freemasonry. It's Freemasonry, and the materialism is straight-up communism. And so, yeah, when you talk, when you talk about these concepts, it, it, you, and the culture now is also so far gone and so far descended into this Freemasonic mindset, that when you start talking to people about how a man can be executed, but if he makes a good confession and receives all of the sacraments and then you know has a Requiem Mass prayed for him immediately upon his death, that his death... Is better than many, 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 many other people, good people who don't get to die, having, you know, (laughs) who don't get to spend the hours and even days knowing exactly the moment that they're going to die, having a priest with you the whole time, having people just fawning over you and begging you to avail yourself of the sacraments, bending over backwards to do absolutely anything that's necessary. And then in the in the rubrics of St. Vincent Pelotti, they're, they're very emphatic about the fact that a requiem mass should be begun immediately after the execution, as, as soon as possible. Because, of course, at the moment of your death, boom, you go, and and you are inside of the domain of your particular judgment. And so a person especially needs prayers in that moment. How many of us are going to get that? <laughs> How many of us are going to have that that level of attention that someone is just standing there waiting for us to die and then start saying the first requiem for us? I mean, come on, you know? I mean, Catholic, in, this, in this post-conciliar church, requiems aren't even said anymore. They have they're, these, they're not these masses requiem. where people are... They're not called requiems, but they have these masses where the dead person is, is essentially canonized from the pulpit. And I've even heard uh, people say things like... Um, the priest said that my dead relative is now an angel in heaven with wings. And I mean just things like this that are so spectacularly stupid and and thoroughly not Christian in any way. This is this is normal now not, when people just die Chris, in the church.
0: Not just not Christian, but that, that, that reminds me of a term that, that I learned in the Navy called uh, gross conceptual error. And uh, yeah. the first school I went to when I was in the Navy, very academically rigorous. And all the all the tests were in essay format. And if you answered in a way that suggested – made it clear that you did not know what in the world you were talking about. You didn't just get zero points for that for that question. You got the negative number of points, and I knew people who literally got negative scores. And, and, wow. and to, to say that uh, your relative is now an angel in heaven – okay, first off, that's metaphysically impossible. We're, we, you're yeah. a human species. You're not going to become an angel. Yep. Uh, but, yeah – not, not just we don't. You're not just questioning if the priest actually believes anything. It's like, wait a minute, you don't believe what the truth church, church teaches because I don't think you have the first clue what the church teaches. Yep. Uh, to be saying something like that. Yeah. Gross conceptual yeah. error.
1: Gross conceptual error. GCE. We should start a hashtag.
0: <laughs> well, we got some listener feedback this week at uh, podcast podcast at Barnhart.biz, If I can speak, which goes into one of the first topics, i got an email from somebody saying, tell Superdur to slow down. He speaks too fast. I can't understand what he's saying. I know I've, (laughs) I've got a bad habit from time to time that I get excited about what I'm saying and I don't always enunciate as well as I could. And I tend to speak too fast. I will do my best to slow down and, and mitigate that. And, and uh, yeah, I I did that on purpose a second ago. Uh, Another listener emailed uh, about taking your advice in and doing a general confession and that he felt a lot better after that. Um, could you remind people what is a general confession and what's the difference between that and uh, going to confession as often as people usually do?
1: No, well, it's very simple. It's when you go to confession and instead of just confessing the sins since your last confession, you do a you do an overview of your entire life and you just it's it feels so good um, to reiterate to our Lord, who of course we know that He hasn't forgotten and so on and so forth, but It feels so good and it is so spiritually healthy to speak these things and say, once again... I would like to make a general confession now, and I regret all of these sins of my former life, which include blah, 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 blah. And you go through and, you know, hit the high points, hit the high points, don't, if there's a line, or the low points in that case, yes. Um, you know, be conscious if there's a line behind you, be sensitive to that. But, I mean, it do, it doesn't necessarily have to take a tremendous amount of time. Because you can you can paint with a pretty broad brush and, you know, you can cover entire categories of sins pretty easily. And just the act of reiterating and saying saying vocally again that I am sorry for this, this, this and this and these sins of my former life. It's a it's a spiritually profitable thing to do. And boy, you just you feel like a million bucks afterwards, you know. And we mentioned
0: we mentioned earlier it's part of human nature when when you have done something wrong, you expect to be punished, and when you don't have that punishment, you you there, there's a certain um, imbalance and and one of the psychologically awesome you talk about feeling good it's not ultimately it's not about our feelings it's about whether or not we are in the state of grace but right. there, there is that tremendous relief that at the end of the confession the priest in the word, in, in the person of christ says i forgive you of your sins yes. that that's incredible and and in terms of not taking long if you prepare well you can write your 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 uh, general confession down and and uh, one one of the I, I didn't know if this was a local thing that 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 uh, we had we had done or if this was something that was more general um, was after our channel confessions, so we would literally burn the paper that our, we'd written yes. our notes on, and it's like much better for our sins to be burning than for our souls to be burning. And and so there was that that symbolic okay, we're done with that. That's done. It, it's it's we 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 can move forward guilt free and and not be bothered that that we've done some things in the past that that we need we need to um, um, worry about. That has been forgiven. Now we we'll go forward right. in God's grace.
1: Right. But you can do this, you know. And I think it is. Spiritually healthy to do it periodically, um, once a year, several times a year, whatever you think. And it's well, also for, for general um, confession.
0: It, the recommendation I've heard is every two years is, is a is every a, re- years, is a okay. reasonable is a reasonable thing mm-hmm. for for people who want to go regularly. Um, also, I've heard the recommendation when you make a major change in life. So if you're uh, say graduating from high school and going out to college, uh, graduating okay. college and going into the world. Getting Mm -hmm. married, getting Mm -hmm. married, um, major Mm -hmm. transitions in life. Make sure it I mean, obviously, if you're making good confessions, this this, you know, you're in good shape anyway. But uh, an overall reaffirming that the slate is clear, move forward.
1: Yeah, Um, it's also a good thing to do if you have the grace and are able to do this, if your life is ever in danger, which I actually had the opportunity once to do that life was in danger. There was a priest who made himself available and a line formed. And, you know, you can, again, you can do it, you can do it awfully darn quick, but it's good to know that if your life is in danger, that you can go and do this and you can have this, this assurance once again, and just have this sense of relief and security. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to confuse people and make people think that, you know, confessing something previously wasn't efficacious it's just you know god is merciful and he knows he knows how we are and how we operate and especially if you're if you're getting ready to if you're in the midst of a life-threatening situation or you're getting ready to move into a life-threatening situation like for example um when you see the pictures during world war ii and so forth of priests hearing hearing confessions On the battlefield, like, for example, in the Pacific Theater, there's lots of pictures of Marines going to confession because they knew that the next morning they were going to be attacking the Japanese and that many of them would be killed. So if you know you're about to move into a life threatening situation and you can make a make a general confession, just how much better that is for you, knowing that you are, in fact, in in every possible sense, ready to die. Um, The other thing the, the the comparison that we should make in our in the in the secular neo pagan culture is all of this business of reality television, um, these trashy talk shows where people go on television and spill their guts, and also psychoanal- psychoanalysis and this obsession with having a therapist and blah blah blah. What all of that is is the human desire. To, to say verbally the bad things that we, that we have done, the sins that we have committed.
0: To get it off the, your chest.
1: To get it off of your chest and to say these things. Now, the God in his mercy through the church has provided this sacrament so that that can all be done in, in an extremely healthy way. Um, obviously, it's healthy because your sins are forgiven, which never ever happens in psychotherapy. What, what happens at the end of psychotherapy? It's the hour's over and you get a bill and it's see you again next week. And then they just try to keep sucking you back into this and it just goes on this navel gazing without any resolution to any of it. And in fact, for a lot of people going to these evil psychoanalysts and so forth it just makes it worse. It, it just turns them further and further and further in on themselves. There's never any release of the guilt because there's never any absolution. Hello.
0: Yeah. Um, let's, let's think about this for a minute. We're going to have a have a, a discussion with with an analyst, and we're going to bring up all of the things for which we ought to be guilty or be ashamed. But there's never any concrete resolution to it. That yeah, I, I can see where this could be a problem.
1: No, it's just constantly, well, how does that make you feel? Well, how does that make you feel? These open-ended, nebulous questions with no end, the only end is the enriching of the psychoanalyst. That's it. So what confession is, is this healthy form in which, first of all, it's completely done under a seal. It's completely private. You're not airing your dirty laundry. The priest is under the seal, which is one of one of the most intensive things that there is in the life of of a priest is the seal of the confessional. And you're not airing your dirty laundry, but you're speaking these things verbally. You're getting you're getting it out. And then of course the absolution comes and your sins are forgiven. You are washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. And it is what a mercy it is. What a mercy it is. And it's so it's such a tragedy. That you know the Protestants and and everyone else they look at the sacrament of confession and badmouth it, and it is it is one of the most intense manifestations of God's tender loving mercy. And uh, you know, I it's such a shame to use the word tender. Uh, all I can hear now is is anti Pope Bergoglio's corruption of that word. But this tender loving merciful sacrament, in which, you know. We can we can not only have our sins forgiven, but have this this mental uh, you know correct correct my verbiage if you want to super nerd, but this mental and psychological healing and ability to reset and ability to okay put the past behind us and now move forward with life. It's it's so powerful, and so many people hate the sacrament of, of confession, and you know I I can understand. Why a lot of Protestants especially hate it because Catholics abuse it, they sin without compunction and then say, well that's okay, I can just go to confession and they they that's presuming it's presuming uh, presuming upon God 's mercy, which is the sin against the Holy Spirit, which you know our Lord characterized that as unforgivable, so
0: right, and if they really had the attitude, "I can sin all I want and go to confession well okay you're you're actually manifesting. Uh, a lack of, of, of desire to reform your life, and that makes your confession invalid, which gets into a de- other topics, and you, yep. me- you mentioned the, the the hold back or, or turn off for non-Catholics confessing their sins to a man. We mentioned, first off, you're confessing to God, it, the, the analogy yeah. is always like a telephone. They, he's he's just the human conduit for Christ himself. This is the way Christ set it up. If you don't like it, take it up with him, yeah. uh, and, and you'll get the chance. Um, at your judgment, you you, you can definitely <laughs> talk to him about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the but the point of the seal of the confessional, uh, throughout history, numerous priests have died protecting the seal of the confessional, the, and, and in short, you are not allowed to reveal anything uh, about mm-hmm. what is what is said in confession. And the penalty for that is an automatic excommunication, which can, is reserved to the Pope. So if a priest yes. even accidentally, re, you know, well, that gets into candle. I'm not going to go that direction. If if if, if, a, if, he, <laughs> if a priest breaks the seal of confession. He is automatically excommunicated, and he has to appeal directly to the Pope in Rome for forgiveness of that.
1: It's on the same, it's on the same level as um, desecrating the Eucharist or something like that. It's so serious that um, a normal priest in the, in, in the confessional, in a parish church, if another priest comes to him and confesses that, it is, that is beyond the jurisdiction of just the parish priest to forgive. It has to, it has to go all the way to the top. And it has to now see, this is an interesting point that I didn't anticipate that we would come across. Isn't it interesting that it has to go all the way to the top and we're in this chaos right now. And some people are saying, well, you know, it doesn't really matter who the Pope is or who the Pope isn't. If you if you follow this through, um, it, you start to realize how important these questions are. But then it also gets to um, the idea of the church supplies, the church supplies jurisdiction in times of um, chaos, as in what we have now. So I suppose that the, the concept of ecclesia suplet would, would apply, even if, um, for example, whatever, whatever anti-Pope Bergoglio is signed off on in, in this category, I think the Church would probably supply jurisdiction. But it, it matters who the Pope is, the, the office of the papacy. Let's put it that way, the office of the papacy really, really matters. It's really important. And it isn't something that we can just, you know, because we don't like the situation now with the fact that there's an anti-Pope, we can't just shrug our shoulders and become, you know, quasi-Protestants and say, well, the papacy never really mattered anyway. Um, It really does. And, you know, just having this little conversation about these sins reserved to the Holy See, um, there you go. There's another example of why the papacy really, really, really matters.
0: Absolutely, matters eternally. Yes, eternally. And one other piece of feedback, uh, referencing the uh, the request in the last show uh, for masses for the for the Kushner's. I believe we got some emails about that, Ian.
1: Yeah, you want to read them
0: off? I (laughs) didn't have them (laughs) up. I just I just had the note that uh, we we got an email. uh, I think we're up to four masses now.
1: We're up to four. Um, There was one said on Monday at noon Eastern Daylight Time, Monday the 15th. So that one has already been done. And then, as I understand, we have commitments for three more in Australia. How about that? and um the one that was said on monday the 15th was in in the gregorian rite the three in australia will be either in the gregorian rite or the old dominican rite which is beautiful if you ever get a chance to see an old dominican mass jump all over that because it's beautiful it's it's quite similar to the 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 roman rite but there are some little things that are different that are really Really impressive and, and uh, <laughs> really make you sit up and pay attention during during Dominican Mass. So if you ever get a chance to see an old Dominican Mass, do that. So three, and we'll, we'll take more. We'll take more. Um, any, any priests out there who want to offer the holy sacrifice for the conversion of, of these people, uh, conversion slash reversion, well, let's, let's get the horsepower to the ground on this and put our money where our mouth is and let's get this done.
0: Right, and not not necessarily just uh, Jared and, and Ivanka, but also you know Donald Trump as well. It, the whole point is you yeah, pray, all you, pray, you pray for your leaders, and it's it's only slightly tongue in cheek that we're talking about them only and not Donald Trump. But he has put right. his trust in, in in them, so they are effective de facto leaders in the sense that they've got his ear, and um, you know, what 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 they stand for and what they believe in. Is, are, they're going to affect policy. They already have affected policy. So yes. we want we want Catholics. We want we want um, mm-hmm. good believing Christians in 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 these positions of power, because what they do and and the, the, what they affect is going to is is going to ma- It's going to make changes that affect us for quite a while. Yes,
1: absolutely. So let's any priests out there. Send us an email to podcast at barnhart.biz and put something uh, clearly indicative in the subject header line that indicates that you're ready to say mass for these folks. And give us um, if you can't give us date and time so that I can post it and so that people out there can um, set a, set an alarm on their phone or whatever. And they can, you know, join in. They can attach themselves to the offering of that mass wherever it happens anywhere in the world.
0: Yeah, you don't have to actually be physically present at mass to join yourself to the intentions. I mean, mass itself is a warping of space and time. You, no matter right. where you are and when you attend mass, you are at the foot of Calvary, at the at at the crucifixion. It is. You, know, you look at science fiction, you see time travel and space travel. Mm-hmm. No, this mm-hmm. is this is the this is the science fact happening, where, you know, time and space contorts to the point that you are at. The crucifixion, and you are receiving the well. That we'll we'll, we'll get into that later at another time, but but it's, 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 we'll it's, save
1: that for podcast number five. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah we're. Uh, but but that, that is awesome. That that uh, for so far four masses committed, and that that's an awesome note. And after some of the the, the negative and scary <laughs> topics from last time, let's call it a show because we're about it in an hour anyway. So yeah, it's
1: ending on a happy note, indeed.
0: Absolutely. So. For Ann, I am Super Nerd, and we'll talk to you next week.
1: God bless, guys. Take care.